Activities like video conferencing, mobile work, cloud computing, all of these have been around well before the pandemic. Before anyone ever coined the term, businesses have been undergoing transformation to reflect opportunities presented at the time. If what we mean by digital is the use of information technology, that too has been around for decades. What is different though is that in recent years, digital transformation brings initiatives and technologies to support an organization's effort to align people, processes, and technology more closely towards the company's core business objectives and future vision. One thing is clear for many organizations. Digital business transformation is not a project or technology or initiative that can be implemented today and then the organization moves on to the next. It is a journey that will evolve over time. With us today on Podcast for Future CIO is Mr. Rajesh Nandakumar, Head of Information Technology, Westpac Institutional Bank Asia, for his take on how to future-proof an organization's modernization strategy. Rajesh, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you so much, uh, Alan, for having me in your podcast. This is quite interesting one. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward for our session now. Yeah? How do you see your organization responding to measures to contain costs while adapting to evolving market conditions? You definitely have to stay abreast in terms of how the regulation is maturing or the new policies that's been launched by the regulator. And uh, to be honest, I'm a big fan of uh, MAS, uh, given that I've worked in this region for uh, more than a decade plus. And I have an opportunity of being on technology side uh, because you started off being MAS TRM guidelines compliant person. And then you try, when I started with City, we work with like 17 different markets, which means I get to see 17 different regulators and how do we remain compliant to them in that local market perspective, right? So when I see from that lens, you always see MAS being in the forefront of taking some of those difficult or complex topics head on and trying to roll out regulations around it, whether it is around cybersecurity, whether it's on AI ML or even Bitcoin, right? So they even spoke about saying, they want crypto assets. They want organization to work on crypto assets innovation, but they are not quite propagating about cryptocurrencies. These kind of, you know, you could call as a controversial thing. They're quite bold in terms of coming out with regulation guidelines, which makes it easier for organization to play in the spectrum and also progressively support the economy and the country, right? And how we kind of have to think about is not about the cosplay. The cosplay is if you look at it segmented, you have to always have that foresight and say, the cost that I'm investing today, will it give me a jump start in the next two years or three years? Because technology is evolving. Technology is not a stagnant one. If you see the technology that you would have had 20 years back, it's not the same today. It's not the way how Steve Jobs started Apple to where you are today. And things which you wanted to use a laptop, uh, I'm sure we seldom go after using laptop to do any of the activity. Today, your smartphone is good enough to be a powerful computer to do many stuff, right? So I think changing the thought process of how do I play not around the regulation, but being in within the regulatory uh, sphere, how do I make that progress happen in terms of whether it could be IS or PaaS? Cloud adoption could be one thing. You can't shy away from the fact of saying, I will still continue to run my own data center, which means what? You are increasing your technology depth costs. You will continue to fight the challenges around end of life, end of end of support. So how can you be a bit aggressive in your cloud adoption and make sure that your partners with whom you're going for cloud adoption are also accountable. So if you do a sub outsourcing to 
somebody, you need to watch out saying, I'm giving a job to a person A. And if he's about sourcing it to a person B, you know, how well it is controlled, how well it is maintained. So the accountability still lies with you. It doesn't matter just because you outsource to somebody. You don't take the accountability off you and say, oops, I don't know. It was done by that person. A, right? Uh, not my job. It can't be. You are still relevant. You're still accountable. You have just passed the delivery or the responsibility to another person. You still continue to stay accountable to this whole spree. So I think it is more about putting your money at the right place and thinking more future-proof. You can't have these days five years roadmap plan, right? If a CIO goes out and draws a five years roadmap plan, you're never going to be successful. It, it should be bite-sized, right? It should be a three-month, six-month project. How do you go after changing small modular thing? When you talk about microservices in a technology architecture world, even the projects that you're rolling out should be more agile and, you know, in a modular in nature. Most financial institutions do have a lot of legacy applications. And so there's a lot of talk about modernizing your legacy applications. And of course, with lines of business having more autonomy in terms of deciding what applications they want to roll out, how do these two sets of almost conflicting issues, how do they sync as far as the CIO is concerned? How, how do you manage these two? If you see an organization, they'll always put a tag to it as a legacy application. And I've had some conversation with uh, industry players who would call, oh, this is a mainframe application which has been run for a longer period on RPG code is a legacy. The point of legacy is more in the context of saying, is it doing its job? Do you have the right skill set to support the job? And you know, the cost of your running that infrastructure component of the, that application and your supportability of the application is contained, means you are able to predict it. You know, there is no risk that is foreseen in the next three to five years, then I don't put them in legacy bucket. I feel it's quite relevant. It is doing its job. One, it's providing high availability. It is solving the problem that is needed for the bank. I do have the right supportable skill set because sometimes the challenge is that if you don't have the right skill set, then it becomes quite challenging, right? Then you struggle with it. And if you don't have the updates provided by the service provider who's providing the hardware or the software, then it becomes a challenge. Most of the time where the legacy conversation comes is managing your end of life or end of vendor support because any hardware or software service provider. One, they are keeping it updated to the latest technology. And second, that is their um, so-called the cash cow quadrant, right? You need to, <laughs> so let's take the cat out of the bag. So the fact is that so they call something end of life. You don't have a choice. You're using the product. You're consuming it. You pay that extra additional dollars to upgrade it. You go through the journey and it's a constant evolving thing. Some point in time, it's better to take the pause and say, am I good at just managing this end of life, end of end of support? Is this a differentiator for me in the market? Or this is a commodity service that everybody needs it. Everybody needs that hardware. Everybody needs that software. Who's doing it better out in the market, right? There could be one of those big four players who's providing your cloud services. And if you do the cost play, sometimes the challenge is not knowing what to go into the cloud. Doing that initial kitchen sink exercise of, you know, segregating saying, can I retire this application? Can I re-platform this application? Or can I rewrite this application to a modernized code, to a microservices? If you don't do these bucketing at an early stage, and if you want to move everything to the cloud, it's going to be expensive, right? You're not going to see a cost benefit, you know. So you have to optimize your footprint and see what is relevant for today's market because some application which you developed, let's say 20, 25 years back, might not have relevant today. Some application have an opportunity of rationalizing because the functionalities could be deduplicated in different application stacks. So can you rationalize and say rather than the same functionality, do the mapping and find out, oh, why are these, you know, being done in five different applications? Can I not combine it? And also look at how your processes has been defined. Sometimes what happens 
happens the application is at the tail end of the solution rather than you've got to look at the processes which leads to that application oh the process itself is so complex within the operation can i simplify that sometimes there is no need for that application to be in place doing those initial segmentation and taking the call gives you a better control of going to the cloud and then you got to look at more from a data product or a data mesh architecture where you move small bite-sized application and today's you know technology allows you to have that split where you can run your web and app layer on the cloud and your database within your data center so that you can kind of stay more in control of your customer's data so that you can demonstrate better compliance either to the regulation or the personal data that you're holding because then you're not transferring the accountability and saying oops what happened to the data right so that way you kind of keep the data with you and, and make sure you use that as a differentiator to play in the market right to in terms of how do you give value back to your customer so that way you control but things that are shared services that are common elements you know that can be consumed through the partners go for it it has to be worked in that manner so that's why you got to use the same you know, whether it is aws azure or google everybody came out with their 5r or 6r's pathway to go to cloud right for me it is just three bucket right whether i want to retire it if i want to retain how do i want to retain that application right or can i rationalize that application by combining two or three together Uh, speaking of software development cycles, what are the common issues that the IT team will face in terms of the software development cycle, as well as the type of support? Which is right, because um, some of these challenges are in two aspects, right? One, in terms of the language. Like if an application is written, let's say in Java, if I go out in the market, I might find thousands of Java skilled resources at different scale, you know, easy to get them on board. But imagine if I've written an application, let's say on a legacy technology where there is no advancement that's been done and you know it's very rare to find the resource the cost of running that application itself will go high so then you're when you look at a return on investment it's not going to make any sense uh, from a larger context it's very important to kind of know you know what tech stack or what application your programs has been written and try to move it to a more a larger marketplace it means commonly available uh, you know skill set because the knowledge or the skill set people becomes more important in terms of supportability and in terms of modernizing these applications you should have that kind of flexibility to quickly transform something um, that way you need to know what your tech stack is running on right so if you don't have the control on what tech stack is running on then it becomes a problem the number two issues which you should always address is in terms of testing cycle how do i test it for production rollout how do i test for new feature rollout how do i test in terms of running it for my bcp you don't just don't do a bcp compliance as a lip sync exercise can i really run the disaster from a primary and secondary every six months you know actually it should be an active active site why do i need to have a dr bcp just for the compliance and you're bleeding money how do i kind of operate this on both the ends of spectrum and uh, third is uh, obviously the pandemic is given a little bit booster of using the global talent to your disposal right you don't need all your resources to be under your shelter all the time uh, the person uh, you know who's good at let's say managing my network and voice component could be sitting in vietnam or you know i could be having one of my front end developer sitting somewhere in bali in indonesia how does it matter to me as long as i can enable them with the right security guardrails through vpn to connect into my infrastructure right we have done a proper background screening of these resources to be part of our construct then guess what the problem is solved that you are using the global talent to solve your problem more quicker and faster and third is obviously you got to um, because i feel people are the foundational thing rest all could be solved um, if your talent pool is not within your organization talent can't be you know bought through a marketplace you can't go shopping there and say i will buy it from my vendor 
only that much. You need people who are passionate of what you're doing within your organization, right? So I believe having that in-house talent has always been a challenge for a CIO. And you need to continue to motivate to keep them within your firm and allow them to grow within your firm. One of the more recent uh, developments around software applications, the so-called low-code application development platforms, these solutions, how are these making an impact in terms of your organization? And do you see them driving any modernization effort uh, on the part of the bank? Definitely, because uh, you can look at from two angles. One is from the low-code and the no-code aspects, because when I see no-code, it's largely around those citizen development that we allow through, let's say, robotic process automation. When it comes to a low-code, could be like a workflow automation engine or workflow orchestration that you're using. So it is beneficial because you can do a lot of these bite-sized workflow automations, which let's say my operations dealing room or my settlement team, you know, or could be my HR, which is extracting a people data sets on a regular basis, or my FinCon is doing some kind of a reg reporting. So they are the domain expert. They understand it quite better. Sometimes transferring a domain knowledge to a technology guy who does not understand the domain, then you go through this long process of building a business requirement document while you still call it as an agile flow but then there is too much of back and forth communication going on transferring the domain knowledge to a technology guy who's actually hands-on keyboard coding it for you rather if i know that hey this is just a workflow thing why not i give it to my cfo team it could be an rp or a workflow to for building their so-called as bite-sized application but the only thing you have to be aware when transferring the control is my security guardrails on how they have been deployed their auditability their compliance to my regulation tomorrow uh, you know, are they going to create some kind of an exposure with vulnerability endpoints if they have been deployed in internet? So as long as you've taken care of those housekeeping elements, and then if you allow, you know, your domain experts to go back and develop things, what a, a technology team will take about a month, you know, the domain experts can roll it out because there's no coding involved. They can roll it out in uh, less than about a week's time, you know, sometimes within a day. But then what happens when you have these kind of modular applications, it becomes mini island across the globe. Then how you manage these mini islands to be you know up to date from an end of life or end of vendor support that's why you need to now then move back to the cloud thing right saying is my you know those modular application on a low code or no code that's been built is being deployed like a product and they have to take an accountability for the entire life cycle of that application even if it's one bite-sized module that you're developing in a no code right you need to take it through the software life cycle it needs to from its inception to the retirement the domain owner is not just playing the domain role right now he's also playing that application owner role right so that roles and responsibility needs to be clearly defined. It is not just about using it, but it's also in terms of how do you control and manage it. Do you see low-code, no-code development platform becoming a norm within the financial services institutions? And what would DC will be driving or not driving the adoption of this technology or this way of coding or writing? I think the only challenges probably we would see in terms of um, not adopting it, right? The challenge is if they're not being securely built, if there are security exposures or vulnerability that's been created with these low code, no code, um, because if the underlying, because the business will assume somebody is taking care of the underlying application at a code level, right? If there are vulnerabilities being built in, which allows backdoor access, that could be posed as a risk. And number two, as I said, since business is building it, technology can't assume that it's not my accountability, you know? Somebody is building it, let them manage. No, technology should still take the accountability of ensuring, as I said, 
said, the security guardrails of those applications and the safety of those applications being deployed within your environment. Those are the two key elements that I would see from an accountability and also in terms of how safe these applications are when you're deploying it. And probably I can add the third one. You should always build it within an ecosystem so it's well integrated in terms of reusability asset. It should not be that you are building, you know, there is a problem that I'm building a solution. It should not be treated that way. It should be as an ecosystem where these are built like a reusable asset and it can be reconstructed or restructured to a various problem as you modify your process. Rajesh, thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you for having me in your session, Alan. I think it was quite interesting conversation. I think we shared quite a lot of ideas. This is good. Uh, and I look forward for more of these sessions coming forward. Yeah. That was Rajesh Nandakumar, Head of Information Technology, Westpac Institutional Bank Asia, on the topic of future-proofing your modernization journey. You are listening into podcasts for future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editorsatsociety.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. Bye for now.